Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Your electric supply and your electric suppliers are changing. Some words that are not part of our normal lexicon are becoming part of it. Distributed generation, microgrid, and more recently, something that came out of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which governs electricity, order two, 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 two. This takes into account something that you can see with your own eyes. More solar panels, more windmills, more diversified generation. To explain all this to us today, we have Michelle Fay, a partner, energy, sustainability, and infrastructure at the consulting firm Kindhouse. And she is in Boston. Coming to us from San Francisco, also with Kindhouse, is Peter Asmus, who's research director of Guidehouse Insights. Michelle, what does it mean when people say distributed generation? I hear it all the time that somehow it's going to solve everything. It's going to be the way we're going to keep the lights from going out. We're not going to have to build as much. All sorts of magic things are going to result. What is it and what has just happened that makes it more real than it was? Sure. Um, so distributed generation, if you think about a traditional utility, they've always sourced their generation from a single single source. And now what we're talking about is there are distributed resources like solar, um, there's storage, electric vehicles. You can think of any of those as distributed energy resources or distributed generation. And utilities are now able to get their generation from multiple non-centralized, decentralized sources. So it's a big change for, um, for how utilities operate. And um, one of the things that was just released, um, and you may have heard about this, is the FERC Order 2222, which is a real game changer for, um, for the energy transition as a whole. And it really focuses on how DERs can be better integrated and we can bring more renewable energy resources into the grid. And Peter, uh, what does this mean? Does this mean that these stray windmills that we see here and there, for example, in Rhode Island, where I am, you see what look like stray windmills. Are those uh, part of the system? Are they not part of anything? Are they orphans suddenly brought into the fold? <laughs> well, uh, they can be. Uh, what, what Michelle referenced, FERC Order 222, is really the idea that uh, a lot of the distributed energy historically has been about creating value at the site. So you're a homeowner, you want, maybe you have solar, you add a battery, and it's more about what you can benefit. But what FERC Order 222 does, it allows you to actually um, sell extra services back to the grid, back to utility or what we call grid operators, and actually provide shared value. And that's um, our forecast show that beginning next year, the amount of distributed energy coming online in the world will be more than centralized generation like coal plants, nuclear plants. And that gap grows over time. So as Michelle was pointing out, we're gonna rely on these smaller sources, which could include wind turbines more and more. But in order to do that, it's more about the software, the controls, you know, how do you, manage all this complexity because it could result in chaos. I mean, the worst case scenario, but luckily there's a lot of smart people 
figuring that out. Um, there's still issues to resolve, but that's sort of pointing to the wave of the future. What is dispersed energy? Is that part of the same picture? Is that lesser? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, so there's dispersed, distributed, decentralized, you know, I, they all are, are similar. I'm not sure if you would say they're exactly the same, but dispersed energy, in my view, would be a sort of the same thing. Basically, energy more distributed onto the grid. So in the old days, so actually in the old days, if you look back to Thomas Edison, we started with distributed energy. Then we just kept, as you know, building things bigger and bigger economies of scale, big monopolies, and now we're kind of going back to where we began um, with a more competitive, more distributed, more decentralized system. Michelle, in this new decentralized world, does that make supply superior, more reliable, greater resiliency? Will this defend us from storms, hurricanes, all of these things that has disrupted electric supply in recent years? Yeah, it, it is definitely a game changer. As I said before, um, it really it really makes um, consumers less that are using these distributed energy resources less dependent on the utility on the utility as their as their source of of service. Um, so, in the event of an outage, if a customer has their own means of generation and storage, as an example, they can really continue on without interruption. Um, and as utilities are bringing in crews to address the issues, there's no disruption for the customer. So essentially, uh, potentially decreasing those outage times for customers. Now, if I'm a homeowner and I have solar power on the roof and I use solar power, I want to sell the surplus back to the utility. That used to be called net metering. And it was sometimes contentious because by government fiat originally, the utilities were probably overpaying for the electricity they were buying back, not to be too technical about it, but they were buying it back at avoided cost. Mm -hmm. Has that been solved? Are we now all happily together, everybody making electricity and selling it to each other? A great, glorious electric commune. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, I, I think, you know, we've, we've made inroads there, but I, I would say that there are still some equity issues there. Um, so, for example, um, you know, the, the customers that are typically um, purchasing some of these DERs and installing some of these distributed resources, um, you know, when they do that, the costs of the utility to maintain the infrastructure aren't changing. They're still required to provide the infrastructure out to the customer's house. Um, so there's an argument to be made that we're shifting the cost to, um, to potentially low income and disadvantaged customers that can't afford these distributed resources. So it's an ongoing debate um, and a topic of conversation at the, at the regulator level. And what is inside the utilities? What do they think? What, are they, what is their reaction to distributed and dispersed? Some utilities are advocating distributed generation and in fact, getting into microgrids, which is the, the tool of distributed. Am I correct? Yeah, well, let me take that. My, uh, I've been looking at microgrids now for 10 years. And so I would say some utility, so when I started 10 years ago and you would talk to a utility, most utilities were one, skeptical of microgrids, two, saw them as a threat, and three, were worried that they might impact their grid 
in a negative way. And I'd say there are still some utilities who may feel that way, but more and more utilities are actually deploying microgrids, realizing that they can't put their head in the sand, the world is changing and sort of dipping their toe. Um, so I think, you know, most microgrids though today in the US are coming from the private sector though. That's the majority of the capacity. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out about the distributed energy is most people don't realize that most solar, rooftop solar, they go down when the grid goes down too. And that's what kind of upsets people like in California where I live, where I remember last year we had the public safety power shutoff and the local fire chief was looking around, it was a beautiful sunny day and he was going, why can't I use my solar system? And so that's what the microgrid allows you if you couple it with storage and often even a backup diesel generator, you can still have power when the grid goes down. Now you do need some safety disconnect switches. So make sure that the issue in the past was if that solar plant still ran, what if a little bit trickled back on the grid as the line worker was trying to repair the grid? And so now there are technologies that can sort of do a safe disconnect. And so that's kind of um, how that's evolved. So microgrids, are big, particularly on the East Coast with hurricanes and on the West Coast with wildfires. Yeah, and add, adding to that from a utility perspective, um, you know, one of the one of the things is that this presents a really big opportunity for utilities, right? If you think about having to the cost and the effort to to build new infrastructure, new generation infrastructure, these DERs are an alternative to that and, and could potentially allow them to provide non-wires alternatives. Um, that are much less costly in, in, than those infrastructure investments. Uh, what is the future, Michelle, of the utility? Is it going to be more like the post office when we use it when we want to, or is it going to be more the way it has always been, where we always have it there in reserve, even though we're doing something else and not uh, using electricity, uh, for example, if we have a solar panel? Yeah, it really changes the role of the utility. So, um, so whereas, you know, the utility has been the the provider of the poles and wires and and that transmission and distribution network, um, it's really turning them into an orchestrator of sorts, where they're selecting and optimizing um, the load that's available from the right sources at the right time. So it's a different way for utility um, to manage their day-to-day -day business and to manage the infrastructure and the grid itself. I was talking to John Wellinghoff, a former director of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and he thought that one of the ways to make the grid more resilient was to make it so it broke into smaller parts in emergencies. So there were many more breakpoints and ideally more microgrids, which would provide self-sustaining electricity broken from the grid or separated by switch or whatever the mechanism of the separation would in times of bad weather or fires or anything that threatened the integrity of the larger grid. Is that possible? Is that going to be the future? A grid which sort of disaggregates itself in times of trouble, including, of course, uh, cyber attack. Yeah, I would say that's one vision. I know that uh, one plan for Puerto Rico, for example, which remember they had an outage, I don't remember how many days it lasted, but hundreds of days. And there was a vision of dividing that island into a series of 
of sections of microgrids, but large microgrids like 500 megawatts a piece, I believe was is the scale of some of them. And in California this year, um, uh, we haven't had, well, actually I shouldn't say there was a public safety power shutoff recently, but, um, and there've been all the wildfires leading to outages. But my understanding is that PG&E has incorporated some more switching so that when they do a public power safety shutoff, it doesn't have to shut down such large areas. San Diego Gas and Electric in Southern California has already done that because they had wildfires about 10 years ago. And now they're also building more microgrids that the utility is now deploying um, also. So I think it's going to be a mixture of those things. But um, of course, I'm, I've drunk the microgrid Kool-Aid. I do believe that it's a way of the future, but it's not the answer to everything. And some people say they want a microgrid because it's the new shiny object, and maybe they don't actually need a microgrid. And so, you know, there's going to be the, the white paper we just released at Guidehouse also talks about concepts like virtual power plants. And then there's DERMS, which someone thinks is a skin issue, but it's actually stands for Distributed Energy Resource Management Systems. So all of these sort of platforms are about optimizing these distributed energy. It could be for resiliency, it could be for economics or, or other, other public policies, carbon reduction, for example. Is, uh, Michelle, is uh, order 222 an overlay that goes over microgrids or is it partially over the microgrid or is it independent of whether there are microgrids or, or uh, uh, some other form of collective uh, uh, linkage locally? Yeah. I think it's um, I think it's complementary. Microgrids are probably just one solution. So, so the order is really looking at all distributed energy resources and and how you can aggregate those um, and and bring those onto the system. So I think microgrids are a piece of that, but it is broader. We've gotten very used to having plenty of electricity in the third world and parts of other parts of the world. Not necessarily totally a third world. Blackouts are fairly common. People learn to live with them. Uh, hospitals and truly essential services try to back up their electric supply with diesel generators, uh, sometimes batteries, etc. But we've gotten very dependent on electricity. And so what totally flawed when it goes out, when there's a severe storm, we are panicked. You go down to your local supermarket and you see the batteries, the water, the flashlights, uh, and of course all the foodstuffs that are in cans flying off because people are terrified that they may be several days without electricity. Everything in the refrigerator will melt and uh, it's, it's a catastrophe. Are we going to see less of that? And now we're very adjusted to this. When bad weather is coming in, we expect uh, to get an automated phone call from the utility saying, you know, things are not looking too healthy, but we will respond quickly. Our crews are on the streets, even at this moment. Uh, so it is part of the utility culture to respond quickly. Do microgrids give it a way of, of insulating itself from the catastrophe of avoiding the loss of service? Well, I mean, that is the, the ideal scenario. Now, Microgrids come in all different shapes, sizes, and you know can have different resources within them. So some still have diesel generators, although the trend, our forecasts look at solar and 
you mentioned batteries as being the two most popular sort of new technologies being rolled into microgrids. So you're right. Um, the irony is we're becoming more and more addicted to electricity. Here in California now, we just announced that we're going to supposedly outlaw the gas-fired uh, vehicle um, in a relatively short period of time, which means then our transportation is also dependent upon electricity, which then makes microgrids even more important. In fact, a lot of microgrids now are talking about having electric vehicles plugged into them just to get electricity. But even those vehicles, the batteries in those vehicles then become a resource for the microgrid. So I think what we're seeing is a convergence of all of these sort of systems, infrastructure, even water, for example, you mentioned remote communities, these microgrids in Africa or India or some other places or Alaska for that matter, they become the platform for the whole village for water, telecommunications, basically everything. So as we become more electrified, things like microgrids become even more important because people want energy, internet services become so, uh, you know, it didn't used to be that way, but now uh, people totally freak out if they can't access the internet. Uh, Michelle, you are the author, I believe, of a paper on from microgrids to neurogrids or from the grid to neurogrids. What is a neurogrid and where does that fit into all this world? Yeah, absolutely. This new, brave new world of electric generation or generation avoided, perhaps. Yeah, so you can think of the neural grid as all of these um, different endpoints now that, that a utility has to has to manage. So before, as we were talking about, they had a centralized um, generation, transmission, distribution, and now with all of these additional resources, um, as well as devices, control devices that are coming onto the system, it's created a network of sorts that, um, that provide a lot more information and um, make it a lot more challenging to control and manage and, and maintain the security and reliability of the grid. So that neural network um, really talks about the, the network, the distributed network that's now being created um, in the, within these utility environments that they need to manage. But we're always going to need the utility, aren't we? When I drive down the street and I look at the just incredible infrastructure of electricity, the great pylons taking large quantities of power from a place it was manufactured to a place it's going to be used, and just all the poles and wires, unbelievable number of poles and wires. They're not going to be replaced in a hurry, are they, if at all? No, not, not in the near future. And I think that's one of the challenges that utilities have is they have to maintain that old infrastructure while also trying to manage all of these non-utility owned assets that are now providing electricity and integrating with the, with the infrastructure that they have. So it's a, it's a real balancing act and how much do you invest in that existing infrastructure while still looking towards the future and being able to manage that neural grid that, that we know is coming. Um, Peter, um, you're in San Francisco. California has thought of something of an incubator of new systems, new ideas. Um, one of the ideas around is there'll be so many electric vehicles, they will needs must be a potential storage system for electricity and that the grid 
sort of a bit like the bank borrowing from your account without your knowing it in order to borrow money somewhere else or to lend it somewhere else, will borrow from your charging car or while it's sitting in the garage fully charged, will borrow or buy overnight or over the day. If it's, uh, if that's the situation. Electricity that is stored in your automobile. Is that a viable concept or is that a daydream? <laughs> Yeah, California dreaming, I suppose. Well, um, I would say that it, it is a, um, a possibility. The technology um, is still sort of coming into full commercialization, I would say. But um, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, if we do shift to these electric cars and we continue to have climate change impacts like hurricanes, wildfires, I guess tornadoes, whatever, or terrorist attacks for that matter, we're going to have to think about that. But I do think that also one of the challenges utilities face is they were worried about electric vehicles because each vehicle is like another house. So if you look at what the grid was serving, if everyone starts adding electric vehicles and they all want to charge at the same time, that's going to stress the grid in these sort of hot pockets. So the other way to look at it, though, is those loads, that demand on the system is also a resource. And so that's where concepts like virtual power plants, which is this idea that you can provide the same services as an old centralized power plant, except you have all these different kinds of resources, EVs, solar, diesel generators, water heating pumps, you name it. If you can sense it, you have a, a platform with these concepts, artificial intelligence that can kind of understand how these things react if you call upon them the grid needs you know x amount of power some software company says okay i have all these customers here with all these different devices we can you know kind of within a few seconds orchestrate them and provide value you know that's that's the way of the future so i think that is possible i wouldn't say it's fully commercial and it's not just the batteries but it's also just those loads are actually a resource, uh, commonly referred to like demand response. You could maybe give people a payment to not charge up at certain times of the day. So that's the other thing is, does that electric vehicle have to be charged up now or could it wait? Um, so those are the ideas or fleets of electric vehicles. I have a new white paper coming out where if there's a campus where there's maybe 100, 200 of those electric vehicles, that's a significant amount of capacity. And so that's where it's gonna start, our fleets, and then eventually it'll migrate down to individual homes. It's a little tough on utilities, isn't it? Um, innovation is tough on them because they have this rigid discipline. They have to keep the lights on. It's real time. They can't experiment and fail and say, oops, we'll try something else. Uh, it's a little like air traffic control. You, you can introduce a new computer system but you better not shut the old one down till you're awfully sure because you've got airplanes in the sky. And of course, you've got people depending on electric supply. So on the one hand, there is a force to be conservative in an electric utility. And of course, there are these social changes in the country, technological changes. And certainly this seems to me to be a cultural predisposition towards uh, distributed generation. Uh, do you see that tug in utilities? Well, yeah, I think I'll let Michelle also weigh in. But yes, you definitely see that. But 
like I said before, you're starting to see utilities all around the world, you know, go out on a limb a little bit more. I mean, uh, in uh, New England, we have Green Mountain Power with programs to install batteries in people's homes and, and actually asking just for a small fee to provide that resiliency service. So that's one example. You're also seeing uh, private sector companies with this new concept, energy as a service, where actually you can get a microgrid and have pay no money down. You know, like uh, government facilities who don't have a lot of money, the critical facilities. There's an example in Montgomery County where Schneider Electric, big French company came in, guaranteed a certain rate, created a microgrid, and the investor was actually a subsidiary of a utility, Duke Energy sub subsidiary. So you have a unregulated subsidiary of utility financing a microgrid developed by a French company for a local government in Maryland. So that's just showing you, you know, the sort of diversity, but utilities do tend to be conservative. Um, but I think um, they realize, as we said earlier, the world is changing and, you know, some are public, some are private. So all of that shapes sort of the way they do the world. We're nearly out of time, but it would be nice to know a little bit about you two and what you do when you're not embroiled in the electric world. Michelle, what do you do? Are you a mountain climber, a skier? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, do you collect fakes? I don't know. Tell me. No, nothing, nothing that exciting. Um, so in my in my free time, I have uh, two teenage children that I'm constantly uh, running from place to place. So um, I, I always tell people the interesting things about myself. Um, I judge speech competitions on the weekends for my son. And, um, and I'm a dance mom for my daughter, who's an Irish step dancer on the weekends. An Irish step dancer. Wonderful. Great fun. Uh, and Peter. Well, if it's will tell us. <laughs> yes, I can, what I can share. Well, um, I have a, a small dog who runs my life, and I take him for a walk nearly every day on the beach. He's, uh, his name is Louie. But in the past, uh, I have been a writer, and we shared some stories starting as a journalist. And I, I've also had a band for a while, so I play guitar. I even wrote a few energy-related songs and recorded and so I'm kind of a creative person. I'd eventually like to write some novels and some things outside of, of energy, and I plan on doing that. So um, that's what I do. I'm out here in California. I do a lot of barbecuing. My wife's a private chef, so I'm, I'm into good food. Seems like you both have very interesting lives. I would like to know more about Irish dancing because I spent a lot of time in Ireland in the past, my wife and I were part of an Irish summer school, which is a, a think tank, a weekend think tank. And uh, we have always loved dogs and any life that is ruled by a dog, we know all about that and how it turns out. Thank you both for being so articulate and talking about this critically important but not often discussed subject. That's our show for today. Thank you for coming along. Remember to wash your hands and you can take your necktie off if you like, but do put your mask on. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.